Welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman, a podcast loaded with practical tips, powerful scripts, personal stories, and simple steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. So get ready to get the information you need to make the impact you want from someone you trust, your friend, parenting expert, Dr. Robin Silverman. Hello and welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything, where we give you the tips, scripts, stories, and steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. I'm so honored to be your host, Dr. Robin Silverman, child and teen development specialist, author and speaker, and most importantly, parent of two great kids who give me the opportunity to love, learn, and grow every single day, whether I want to or not. Believe me, I get it. It's not always easy, but we're in this together and we have some great people helping us along the way. Now, before we jump into this wonderful upcoming podcast that I have for you today, I wanted to take a moment to thank you for your latest five-star reviews. You all are the best. I can't even tell you how much your reviews on iTunes make me smile. Like this one uh, from Melinda who wrote, I'm a big fan of Dr. Robin and her podcast is exceptional. She digs deep into many ways parents can connect with kids which parenting strategies work and why, and so much more. Highly recommend. Thank you, Melinda. I so appreciate that. And this latest one from MT School Counselor, who wrote such a sweet review. As an elementary school counselor, this is my very favorite podcast. It speaks to me as a professional and a mother. She has the best experts on ask insightful and relevant questions. And I always learn something in each episode. Often I go back through the show notes to remember a quote or search for the guest book, website, etc. So good. Well, wow. And thank you. Yes, I do have such great guests on. I agree with you. I always love it. And today is no exception. I just wanted to thank you so much. I, I can't write a a review response to you uh, on iTunes. So I figured I'd just do it right out loud and just say, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Now for what we're discussing today and the amazing guests we have, sometimes we get tongue tied when faced with real life in the moment situations that leave us speechless or yelling in the stairwell from kids who leave messes around the house and are perpetually late for their ride to school to kids who notoriously pick fights with their siblings or don't want to go along with the plan we had for the day. Yeah, that's a good idea. Let's make a plan and I'm sure they'll follow. And then there are the tough circumstances that we know are rough for all kids, but they still have to take place. Like if they need to move from home to home in a divorce situation and don't want to do it and who can blame them? Or they have to say they're sorry when they hurt someone's feelings and they don't want to do it. Or when they struggle with friendships and want to leave before the play date even really gets started. Sometimes we talk and talk and talk, but the kids just don't listen. So what do we do? I have two of my very favorites on today who we've had on before and have come back because we had so much fun the last time to talk about their new book. Joanna Faber and Julie King are the authors of the new book, How to Talk When Kids won't listen. Whining, fighting, meltdowns, defiance, and other challenges of childhood. Sound good? Yes. And they are also the authors of the book we went over last time, which was How to Talk So Little Kids Will Listen, A Survival Guide 
to Life with Children Ages 2 to 7. Check that podcast out if you missed it. That has been translated into 22 languages worldwide, that book. You probably remember the worldwide bestseller, How to Talk So Kids Will Listen from Adele Faber and Elaine Maslish. Well, Joanna Faber and Julie King have taken the baton and run with it. Not only do they have these two fabulous books, but they also created the app How to Talk Parenting Tips in Your Pocket, a companion to their book, as well as the app Parenting Hero. Together, they speak to schools and businesses, parent groups nationally and internationally. They lead how to talk workshops and support groups online and in person and provide private consultations. I hope you'll visit Joanna and Julie on how-to-talk.com on Facebook at Faber and King or on Instagram at how to talk dot for parents. These links are going to be on my show notes. So if you're running around, don't worry about it. Welcome Julie and Joanna to how to talk to kids about anything. Thank you, Robin. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) That was a lot. There was a lot there, but I had to get it all in. You guys are, are so you've, you're so accomplished. You're doing such great things, but before we get into all the great information today that we're going to cover and your your podcast with us were so popular. I think it may be the number one podcast that I have uh, because people are so curious about what to say. And obviously that's why they're listening to this podcast, but you wrote this great book on how to talk when kids won't listen. And for those who haven't had the opportunity to meet you or read your books, can you tell us what gets you up in the morning and what got you so interested in writing and discussing the subject matter of your newest, newest book, how to talk when kids won't listen. Okay. Well, I just have to say, wow, like such a nice introduction. You can't see me, but I'm smiling. Oh, <laughs> big smile you. on my face. Uh, you know, this got me up in the morning. Oh, <laughs> thank you. Me too. <laughs> um, you know, what else gets me up in the morning is getting to create a sense of community among parents so we don't feel so isolated. So we don't feel like we're the only ones who are struggling and failing. I like creating that sense that we're all in this together. We can support each other. When I do the workshops, we share stories so people can, can share ideas. Um, when I do one-on-one consults, I, I get great satisfaction when I, I, I just had a mom in uh, uh, one of my consults who was having terrible trouble with her three-year-old in the morning, lots of screaming and crying. And I gave her some strategies and she came back this past week and she said, not only has the morning settled down, but he walked up to her in the morning and this just had not happened in such a long time. And he said, mommy, I love you. And it just melts my heart when something like that happens. So it all, it all gets me up in the morning. (laughs) You you could ask Joanne, I'm always going, going, going. She is. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so Joanna, what about you? What, what got you so interested in writing this, this newest book, how to talk when kids won't listen versus your last book, which was also fabulous as well. Okay. Well, I had no plans to write another book. You can, <laughs> I can heard that before. That. I was like, we're done. We're, yeah. we, we, we wrote it. it. We're rest. good. <laughs> <laughs> um, but what happened was after how to talk so little kids will listen came out we started getting emails from Mm -hmm. all over the country and from all over the world we were getting emails from South Africa India Slovenia Spain um, and 
these letters shared stories uh, from parents of how they had used the skills in our book. And they also asked new questions. They said, you know, oh, I love your book. It's so helpful. But what should I do when? Mm. And they were asking questions about things, specific topics we hadn't covered, whining, divorce, mm. battles over screens. And so Julie and I were sitting down every day at our computers and you know, writing emails, answering all these emails individually. Mm. And at one point it just got out of hand. Right. <laughs> you know? You're like, I'm writing a book. Oh, <laughs> yeah. We said, we're writing a book. <laughs> we decided the answer was to write a book. There so what go. we did was we compiled, <laughs> we compiled these stories from all over the world so we could get a nice, you know, multicultural flair. And we actually published um, some of our correspondents' letters with their permission and mm -hmm. wrote the answers, answers to our letters and sometimes even their answers back. So it has a little Dear Abby-ish flair, which mm -hmm. I think we all kind of secretly love, don't we? We do. And and there you go. That's how that happened. I, I love that. And you know, one of the things you just said gets my mind going because you both really write about scenarios and you give the scenario, you're, you're giving the, the answer, you're really getting to the specifics. You're not all, what I say is hoity-toity and all the, you know, lots of theory and that kind of thing, which, you know, sometimes is interesting, but sometimes is not that helpful. So today we're kind of going to have a little bit of a different flavor to our podcast where we're really going to just hit hard on scenarios because that's your specialty. And I'm going to launch in to talking about responsible kids. And I'm going to give you a little bit of what I'm thinking kind of upfront and also a common scenario that I hear about when I'm presenting or in correspondence or in my own home, secretly in my own home, maybe too. <laughs> and, we'll, and we'll talk a little bit about what your answers are to that. And, and I'll launch right in now and say, I mean, really, we all want responsible kids. I don't think anybody's like, hey, I'm okay with my child just like, you know, leaving the mess everywhere and just like dropping things here and there. We all want responsible kids and we want kids to learn to take care of themselves and their stuff and their messes and their goals. But it's fair to say that kids often mess up and we should expect that. That's the norm. So my sort of overarching question is how do we best transition from doing for our children, which is a, just a natural thing that we've done, you know, starting at birth, of course, to having them do for themselves. And why is punishment not the answer? And before you kind of give that answer, I'm going to just give you the scenario so that we can talk about it as it applies to a particular situation. And I know we're all on the same page with this. So I'll say, for instance, let's say that you want to teach your child to be responsible for her own stuff. You've already talked to her about packing her own backpack for school and having everything ready. But each day when the person who's supposed to pick them up for school comes to your door, your kid is running around doing all kinds of last minute things, getting their agenda, their mask, their lunch, the toy they wanted to show their friend, you know, a book to read if she has free time and making your friend who's coming to pick them up 
late for work. So there's no bus. There's no alternate, uh, like alternate type way of them getting to school, except if it is you. And then you have to wait on the school line. You have to start work late. You know, there's a lot of problems there. So you're getting really frustrated. And now you need to understand what it is to do or say in that moment and maybe later later on to kind of clean up the mess for the next day. So there's the scenario. There's the overarching questions. What do we do and what do we say? Okay. First, I just want to say that this scenario sounds eerily familiar to me. Um, it sounds eerily familiar to me. <laughs> Uh, two for some strange reason. <laughs> but I know you're just asking for a friend. So it's, um, but as you, as you very astutely note, there are two questions we need to address here. And one is what to do in the moment when my friend is already pulling up to the house and my kid isn't ready. Mm-hmm. And I have an obligation not to make my friend late for work because my kid has been dilly-dallying. Again, by the way. Again, again. And the other question is, what can I do for the long term? How can I help my kids take responsibility so she or he is ready when my friend pulls up tomorrow and the next day and the next day? So let's start with the first question, because we're in that moment of panic, um, you know, when when my friend is in the driveway ready to go. Um, So what we would advise a parent to do in the moment is to take action without insulting the character of the child, tempting though that will be. So what does this look like? You grab your daughter's shoes, her mask, her backpack in one hand, you grab her hand in the other hand, and you say, you have to go now. We can't make Ms. Jones late for work. And she may protest, you know, put my toy, my book, I'm not ready. And here's where it gets really hard. You have to continue to resist the urge to moralize. You know, don't say you don't care about anybody but yourself, do you? If you had been fooling around all morning and you had paid attention when I gave you the five minute warning, you would have had plenty of time to get your stuff. This is what you get for dawdling. (laughs) So, you know, think all that and edit it out, edit, delete. And instead, you can just repeat. We can't make Ms. Jones late for work. We'll figure out a better plan later when you get home. Is then leaving without the toy in that scenario. Is that correct? Unless you can grab it and throw it in. I mean, there's no there's no intent here to make the kids suffer, to make right. the kids angry. There's just, um, you know, you're you're protecting your friend from being late. You're protecting yourself from having to, you know, get into that traffic and be late from work. And you're getting your kid to move without trying to stir the pot and create anger and resentment. So, you know, whatever you can do in good faith you do it. Yeah. And and then later, when nobody's feeling rushed or out of sorts, then you can address that second question. How can you help your theoretical daughter learn to organize her time, maybe organize all her stuff, right? So she can be ready on time in the morning. And for that, we'd recommend using a tool that we call problem solving. And I'm going to run you through those steps uh, to give you an idea of what that would actually sound like. I'm so excited. (laughs) Just, you know, for my friend. Right. (laughs) 
So let's say you have found a good time for both of you. You're both feeling, you know, it's, it's, it's the afternoon. She's had her snack. You know, people are feeling okay about things. You're, you're getting along. You start by acknowledging your child's feelings and your child's perspective. It, it, in this case, it might sound something like this. Hmm, you know, I was thinking it's, it's hard to get out on time in the morning. I've noticing it's been, it's been rough in the mornings. You have so many things to do. And in such a short time, you have to get your bag packed, you're getting dressed, you're eating breakfast, you're choosing the books and the toys you want to bring. You have to remember your mask. It's a lot. And it's no fun being rushed. And you don't like being yelled at. So this is the first step. And you really can spend a lot of time on this step. If your kid wants to have her say, let her tell you what it's like and acknowledge all those feelings she's expressing. This is where the goodwill is created that will help her want to solve this problem with you. So you don't wanna rush through step one. <clears throat> okay, so you've done step one. The second step is to describe the problem. This part has to be short and sweet because kids tune out long lectures. So you're gonna hold off from going on and on about how her dawdling and conveniences Ms. Jones and you and everybody else, right? And you're just gonna say, the problem is Ms. Jones needs you to be ready to jump right in when she pulls up to our house so she's not late to work. So there's the problem. The next step is to brainstorm ideas. Now I found that it can often help to pull out a pad of paper and actually write down all the ideas you both can come up with. So you might say, we need ideas for how to get out in the morning on time without all that yelling and fighting. Hmm. Ideally, you wanna let your child come up with the first idea. And oftentimes that first idea is not an idea that you're gonna be particularly excited about. Like maybe she's gonna say, well, why don't you drive me if I'm not ready when Miss Jones comes? So the important step here is that you write it down without judgment. You don't say, oh, well, that won't work because then you'll be making me late, mm -hmm. right? Because if you start rejecting her ideas from the get-go, she'll just give up. So. Once you have a whole long list of ideas, um, then you can decide which ones you both like. You sit down together. Um, that's the time when you get to say, well, that first idea about me driving, if you're not ready, that won't work for me because then I'll be late for work. Mm -hmm. um, so I just want to point out here that, you know, the, the beauty of this, it sounds kind of time intensive and consuming, but the beauty of this is that you're actually putting your kid to work, thinking of ideas, and you're not doing all the work yourself. Mm -hmm. And that the, the ideas that your kid comes up with may very well work better for her because now she's getting invested and she's generating them. Right. Um, so that said, I want to throw a few things at a few ideas at your listeners that actually worked in my home because we mm. had this, you know, let me just be honest here every single morning, you know, it's getting three kids out, you know, it was a nightmare. Yes. Um, and we actually did exactly this. And one of the things that was enormously helpful was that we decided to create a checklist and we put wrote down all the things the kids had to do. And we made little boxes where they could, you know, they could go to each box and say, okay, I did this, I checked it off. And they were kind of young. So we actually made little pictures and, you know, picture of shoes, a picture of breakfast, etc. And then the last box was free play. So if they could go and see that they checked all their boxes, they, they were like, oh, I have time for free play. 
and you know if they still had time before the bus and the funny thing was that they actually like to check off that box too because checking mm -hmm. off boxes is so satisfying yes and then if i saw a kid kind of losing focus and drifting away you know instead of nagging them like you gotta put your shoes on there's only five minutes i could say go check the chart so mm -hmm. you know now now the chart is doing the nagging mm -hmm. And, you know, I think that we, in our adult minds, um, we're thinking, you know, we do the same routine every morning. The kids know exactly what they have to do. You know, why should I have to go through all this rigmarole, um, you know, writing lists, writing charts. And we sometimes forget that for a child who lives in the moment, as most children do, it is not so obvious what all has to be done and they don't have the same sense of time and time passing mm -hmm. that we have. So one more, you know, real quick little story for that, um, that idea that kids have trouble seeing, you know, when you give them the five minute warning, I mean, what is five minutes? Mm -hmm. I had a parent in my workshop with a three-year-old who was unable to get ready on time in the morning. And she reported that every single morning uh, there was this same cycle, nagging, nagging, nagging. And at one point he would have a total meltdown and he would mm -hmm. be lying on the floor sobbing. Um, so the solution they came up with was to give him this thing called a visual timer. And what it is, is it looks like a regular clock face. Mm -hmm. And when you set the timer, say you set it for 15 minutes, you twist a knob and one quarter of the clock face turns red. And then yes. as the time clicks down, the, the red slice gets narrower and narrower. So the kid can actually see in a concrete way how yes. much time is left. And he loved setting this thing. And my favorite quote from that story is, you know, that, they, that when there was just a little bit of time left, he came up to his mom with his backpack and his coat. And he said, mom, we have to go. There is only a slice of red left. <laughs> you know, so now he's the one nagging her. Yes. I mean, that's a beautiful oh, thing. So good. It's so good to give kids the ability to have some power and control and be in the lead, you know, when we're asking mm. them to, to generate some ideas, when we're asking them to set the timer, when we're asking them to, to check the boxes, that gives them the ability to be in control and, and makes it so they're in charge of themselves, which feels so good. It feels grown up. It, it's, you know, nobody's snagging them and they're, they know exactly what's happening. And it's interesting when you're having like pictures or things to check off, you're not then waiting for them to realize as they're running out their door that they don't have shoes on. <laughs> and by the way, the dog <laughs> took one of the shoes and who knows where it is. So, so it, it really is so helpful the the ideas that you're providing. I also will throw in that as my children have gotten older and we still sometimes have these mornings that they have started packing their bags at night. Uh, mm. They tend to be more alert uh, and unburdened at night than they are in the morning when they're tired and they're uh, just 
all there's so much going on in their minds. They don't want to go to school. They'd rather stay home. They haven't had enough breakfast, whatever. The laundry list is there. And so they realized that doing it at night might be better for them. So you got to come up with a bunch of ideas and see what sticks. And uh, I'm so excited to hear about what you guys did, because it's extremely helpful to have all of the ideas so we can try them out. So thank you for all of that um, responsibility. And I think we should add, you asked about punishment when you- Yes, right. Is Why is punishment not the answer? Yes. And, and some of your listeners may be thinking, wow, this is a very complicated solution to this problem. And it might seem like the simplest solution would be to threaten her with a punishment, right? Or, or maybe some people would call it a consequence. Like if you are late again tomorrow morning, I'm going to confiscate your cell phone for a week. Mm-hmm. That should be motivating. Right. right? <laughs> I once actually had a parent say to me after I had given a talk, uh, she raised her hand and said, this all sounds so complicated, so mm-hmm. much work. You know, in our house, we just have a different punishment for every infraction. And I remember saying back to her, well, it sounds to me very complicated to keep track of all those punishments and to administer them. Isn't that a lot of work? Mm. And she just gave this big sigh and she said, oh, yes, it is. Mm. (laughs) Yeah, somebody had said to me, I, I mean, I just had this conversation with some parents who said to me, you know, what's going on in my house is that, you know, when they're, when something goes on like that, that they, they spank them, that's still happening in some of the households. Mm-hmm. And I said, did, does that work? And she had to think for a second and she's like, no. <laughs> yeah. No. <laughs> okay. It doesn't, it doesn't work. But I said, so often when we have like a push mutton button moment, when we have that red hot moment and somebody is having a consequence like that. And, and you think to yourself, well, when I was young, my kid, my, my mom or my dad spanked me and I, you know, and then I, I stopped right away that they think to themselves, well, that must be what worked. But what we find obviously in research is that the infractions keep happening um, and that spanking doesn't actually work in the long run and actually can teach kids to, to then also use their hands to solve problems. I mean, that's exactly what you say is to the point, you know, why, why is punishment not the answer, even if it might work in the short run, in the short run, in that very moment, you know, maybe, maybe the fear of a smack will make a kid move faster, but Ultimately, punishment doesn't teach a kid how to get organized for the mm-hmm. morning rush. Um, right. You know, it doesn't it solve doesn't, the problem. It doesn't really solve the problem. It's, it's actually a distraction to the problem because what punishment does is it causes kids to think selfishly. So instead of focusing on the problem and how to fix it, they're going to be thinking about how unfair it is that you're taking away some privilege Um, you know, they may be stewing with resentment. Mm -hmm. And to your other point, when we punish kids, you know, we think we're teaching them a lesson. And we are teaching them a lesson, we're teaching them that when we have a conflict, we look for ways to make the other person suffer. Mm -hmm. And maybe even we use our hands to smack them. Mm -hmm. Um, So that is going to add to the negative feelings. It's not going to teach them good methods to face conflict in the future. And, you know, it, 
it behooves us to remember it. We're not just putting out a fire in the moment. You know, we're modeling how we approach conflict in life. When we have a problem between the two of us, we can work together to figure out how to solve it in a way that satisfies everybody's needs. Mm. That's, that's the real big picture. Yeah. And I want to just add a few caveats since we were talking about this specific issue of this morning rush. Mm-hmm. If I were counseling a parent, I would start by asking a bunch of questions. You know, is there something happening at school why this, to explain why this child's not in a rush to be ready? Mm-hmm. Or is this child exhausted because she's not getting enough sleep? Or does she have poor executive function, meaning it's hard for her to get organized, or maybe she's mad at you and she's trying to get back at you for something else completely, you know, unrelated. Mm -hmm. This approach that we're suggesting, it asks, what are the needs of the parents and what are the needs of the child? And how can we address both of those needs? So everyone gets their needs met. Mm. You know, we were just, we were assuming for this discussion that the kid just isn't super motivated to be on time and maybe doesn't have a sense of time. It's not super organized. And in that case, you know, we would use the skills of taking action and problem solving all this, what we just talked about. But the whole point of this approach is that we're not just focused on behavior, but we're focused on the needs and the feelings of everyone who's involved. It's really helpful. And, and I think that to your point, then it's, it's okay to admit to your kid. And I do this often that when there is such a rush in the morning, it, it influences everybody and impacts everybody. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I do say to my kid, like when we're rushing out around in the morning, it makes me feel really anxious. And, and, and I, I feel like I can't focus as well. And then I feel like I, I, you know, might slip into yelling or, you know, do say something that I don't want to say and that I don't actually mean. So let's work together so that we all can have a good morning. It's okay to admit that it impacts you too. And, and to, to kind of go through this together, uh, you don't have to be perfect and you can actually mess up and tell your kid, you know, I messed up this morning by, I, I didn't mean to yell um, and I don't want to yell at you. So let's come up with what's going to work. So I don't wind up yelling at you and you don't wind up getting upset. And it's something that you can do together. This is not a, uh, you're all knowing and, and your kid is, is just listening to you. Isn't that right? Yeah. And the good news is that you're going to have another morning tomorrow. Yes. Isn't that so nice? So you get to try again. Yes. I know. Parenting is the ultimate do-over, I say. All right. We could talk about this all day, but I'm going to move on to friendship because I I want to get some other things in on the table so that we can answer some of the the people who are listening, some of their types of questions and, uh, and really get your insight. So, so for friendship, which is another common area of sometimes frustration for people. We know that from research, and we've talked to uh, some of these leading experts in friendship. We just had a great talk with Lydia Denworth, who wrote the book Friendship that just came out not too long ago. And it talks about the research that says that humans need friendship. Like they're really valuable to our well-being. And some kids really want a great friendship, but others, um, and those same kids, sometimes they might have trouble with making and maintaining and keeping friends. Some do really, you know, have it really easy for them and others really struggle. So we want to guide our children and we also want to give them room to grow on their own. So 
again, that sort of general overarching question of how can we as parents help our kids who are struggling with friendship without taking over or sounding like we're lecturing? And I'll give you the scenario that we can kind of go with. It's a common uh, situation that I've heard about that as a parent, you're setting up let's say lots of play dates. You know, we all were kind of in that mode when the kids were young and sometimes we just continue as they get older. So let's say you're setting up a lot of play dates for your child. This child has trouble making friends. You connect with another parent from the school. You kind of do the extra insider work. You set up the play date, but your child continually finds something wrong with every friend they play with. You're caught between a rock and a hard place. You're like in your head, you know, this is so important, but it's not working out. You know, that connection is really important. So today your child played nicely for the first 45 minutes of a play date and then wanted to leave early because the other child's annoying and won't share the toys or the good toys, I should say. So what don't you say? And what do you say in that scenario? Okay. One of the ideas that we talk about in our book is something that is that sometimes it makes more sense to adjust our own expectations and to manage the environment instead of the child. Mm -hmm. So in this case, we want to make it easy for the kid to succeed instead of setting them up for failure. We can shorten the play date. You could. I mean, you know, it sounds like a no brainer, but, you know, our expectation might just be a little bit beyond what this kid can abide. Um, He's able to cooperate, but not for hours on end. And we have to really think about the fact that it takes a lot of energy and self-control to cooperate with another kid. And it sounds like this kid, this child is running out of steam, you know, before the play date is running out of time. There's no law about the length of play dates. You know, if your child seems to be heading towards meltdown, it's tempting to lecture. Well, you don't always like to share your toys either. If you want to <laughs> have friends, you need to be more patient with people or, or you'll end up alone. <laughs> um, but a better approach would be to cut your losses model gracious behavior. You know, you can say to the host, hey, we had a great time playing with the blocks. Thanks so much for having us over and for the delicious snacks. I hope you can come visit us next time. Mm -hmm. And there are other ways to help a kid have a satisfying play date besides just fleeing after 45 (laughs) minutes. Although, you know, that that can be a good strategy. Sometimes kids need more structure. So it can help to plan a play date instead of just throwing two kids into a room full of toys and you know, going to have your nice soothing cup of tea in the other room. Right. That doesn't work. Right. I think sometimes we assume that kids just should naturally know how to play with each other. We don't expect to have to teach them how to play. Mm -hmm. And the reality is that playing with other children is a developmental skill. You know, young kids are more likely to play first side by side. You know, we call it parallel play. They're not really playing with each other. Maybe they're looking at each other. Um, but they're not actually playing together. And then as they get older, they start to play together. Some kids figure it out on their own. Some some kids benefit from some help. This is especially true for a lot of kids on the autism spectrum. Mm -hmm. Also true for other kids as well. You don't have to have a diagnosis to, to benefit from a little help. So in the case of a couple of kids who are having trouble sharing, which 
like can be stressful and difficult for kids and for the adults in charge of them, right? Mm -hmm. You can plan some activities that have nothing to do with sharing. Take the kids to the park with their scooters and, and their trikes or let them splash around in a sprinkler or dig in the sandbox. Or if an outdoor activity isn't possible, you can get out the flour and salt and have them each mix up their own big bowl of Play-Doh. Mm. You know, if you're feeling brave, you can add food dye. Yeah, <laughs> you're right? going in the wrong direction. Okay. <laughs> you don't have to. Keep it, keep it white then. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, keep it, keep it just, you know, gray or whatever, whatever you mean to. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's, that is, these are all really good solutions. And I appreciate you saying about, you know, sometimes we do have a diagnosis in this situation. Sometimes kids are more delayed in their social interactions and that's okay. And it's also important to acknowledge that sometimes when we do have these play dates, when our kids are younger and we're going along and we're meeting with another parent that we so much want to have the time to connect with that parent that cutting it short sounds frustrating for us or having to maintenance our kids during a play date can feel frustrating because you're like oh I finally may have a moment to talk to another adult for the first time oh yeah today this week this month you know and I just want to acknowledge that like we've all been there and and completely get it and it it is sometimes very frustrating and really hard to, to deal with that circumstance. And in that sense, I would say that if it's at all possible and you are feeling that way, and you do have to cut these things short, that setting up a time for an adult play date minus the kids, you know, at some point during the week uh, or that month to look forward to can be a wonderful way to, to curtail your absolute real need for, for that one-on-one or, you know, group parent type of socialization for yourself. Um, because I remember wanting that so badly when my kids were young. Oh yeah. Oh, Robin, you are really bringing back memories. <laughs> I, 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 I'm just realizing, yeah, that was my play date. I don't want to go home. Yet. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So so that all of that's so great. I, I really appreciated the answer to the friendship question. I, I'm going to ask you a question that kind of stems from that because you know our our child our children are often with their siblings a great deal, and you know that's the kind of their first friends. But we can sometimes feel like we're pulling our hair out because you know these siblings are fighting so much. Um, and I, I know for us, sometimes we're dealing with this and I've heard this a lot too. Like, let's say that you are having an issue, could be a toy or it could be the TV, like everybody's sort of fighting over something. Let's say the kids are fighting over who gets to watch the movie on the big TV because the kids can't watch a movie together anymore. Like this one wants the scary one and this one wants something light and fun. And they argue and they start arguing at who gets the big TV starting like Friday morning or maybe even Monday. And it goes on, you know, for days, sometimes with one of the, the kids, not that this has happened to me, taking the remote with them everywhere they go so that the other person cannot possibly get a hold of it. So what strategies do you have with this sibling fighting situation? Like, what would you say about this to your kid, your kids, instead of, well, then nobody gets to use it? Ah, the sibling, the mandatory friend. <laughs> <laughs> um, the 
first thing I would say is, is don't be dismissive of the gravity of the problem. Mm -hmm. Because I think the temptation for all of us is to say, oh my gosh, you should not be fighting like this over a movie. Your mm -hmm. sibling is your best friend for life. That, that's something I've heard a lot. Yeah, my, my kids are like, I'm moving away. I'm far away. <laughs> no, this is your best. This is not your bitter enemy. This is your best friend. I made you a best friend. Why are you rejecting that? Um, so, you should have done a better job. <laughs> yeah, so we better not start that conversation. No, you're not going to um, the answer. So if we can remember that for a kid, choosing which show they want to watch in this case is just as important as any of our adult conflicts. So imagine if you shared an office with someone who loves heavy metal music, which makes you grit your teeth in pain. And you like to play bluegrass, which puts your office mate into an inexplicable rage. Now, Imagine your boss comes in and says, why are you arguing about what music to play? That is not important. You need to get some perspective and get back to work. Mm -hmm. um, you know, neither of you is going to appreciate that response. Uh, you know, he just doesn't understand that, you know, this person is, you know, I cannot, I cannot function in this environment. It's not going to help. It would be more helpful if your boss were to treat the problem with respect you know, okay, this is a tough problem. Each of you enjoys working while listening to music that is incredibly annoying to the other person. What can we do so both of you can have a pleasant work environment? And in the same way, we can say to the kids, boy, this is a really tough problem. Katie loves scary movies. And for Kyle, they give him nightmares. Mm -hmm. He likes comedies. We need to figure out how we can make everybody happy. Let's see what we can come up with. I'll get some paper to write down the ideas. This might sound fam like familiar, like the mm -hmm. problem solving we were talking about earlier. Of course, at the point when they're physically fighting over the remote control, we don't have the luxury of leaving it to them to solve their own problem. Mm -hmm. You know, because if we do, we're, um, we're basically giving them the message that Mike makes right. Like whoever can hold mm -hmm. on to the remote gets to have it their way. So instead we want to model for them how to work together instead of against each other to find a solution that satisfies everybody's needs. And who knows what they'll come up with. Mm -hmm. Maybe they'll find a slightly scary comedy that they both like, mm -hmm. or maybe they'll decide that Katie will choose on one night and Kyle on another. Maybe family movie night is not the best activities for this family to share. Maybe Katie can watch her scary movie with her friend mm -hmm. <clears throat> or when Kyle is away at his friend's house. And maybe when the family's together, they can play games or make ice cream sundaes, right? Mm -hmm. um, right? But once they get the hang of this approach, they'll be able to solve their conflicts without fighting and without your help, which that's like, that's our fantasy, right? That's, that's yes. our goal. Yes. <laughs> yes. The problem solving is, is so important. And I like the acknowledgement that sometimes this is not a problem that can be solved in the obvious way. Like, okay, you're just going to share, you're just going to take turns because if Kyle gets nightmares while watching scary movies, you're not going to be like, well, you're going to sit through this because she sat through your, your, your comedy. Right. Um, that's not going to work. Before you move on, I'm just, just because we're talking about scary movies and I know, you know, who knows what people are imagining. I just want to say that as parents, of course, we can also have a say in what our kids are allowed to watch. Mm. 
And we, we do like to remind people every once in a while that we do not advocate a permissive approach to child rearing. So in this scenario that we've been discussing, I'm imagining, you know, one kid wants to watch The Wizard of Oz and the other one gets nightmares from the Wicked Witch of the West. Mm -hmm. And the monkeys, don't forget the monkeys. Oh yes. You know, for me, it was the witch. Um, I had to watch that with other with yeah. with somebody else. That was, yeah. and, and, and when I introduced it to my daughter, we actually watched it in the morning. That oh, was our God. solution. Yeah. yeah. So a terrifying movie. But, yeah. you know, in that case, we might decide, you know, Katie can watch, you know, The Wizard of Oz with her friend. And when she's with Kyle, we'll watch something else. Okay. But I would not be saying, oh, Katie, you want to watch the Texas Chainsaw Massacre? <laughs> you and little Tiffany can go watch that movie in your room. So it doesn't no. bother the rest of the family. <laughs> you know, I, as a parent, would feel perfectly comfortable saying, I'm not okay with you watching yes. that movie. It's rated R or X, whatever it's rated. <laughs> So yes. if you still want to watch it when you're 17, you can make that decision then. Yes. So, you know, when we talk about putting the child in charge, um, you know, and giving the child more control, you know, we're not talking about, you know, putting them at the wheel and seeing if they can run the Titanic into an iceberg. <laughs> you know, we still have our parameters. Yes. 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 And we're very much in that role right now uh, with our 11 and 12 year old where, you know, they all, they do both want to watch something that's beyond their years um, and mm -hmm. their friend is watching it and the, everybody else is getting to watch that. And you have, you have to be like, you know what, that's not what we're watching uh, because it's not actually for you. And it actually says it right there in its reading. <laughs> so, um, you know, that's, that's what it says. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> So, so what about, you know, when you're, let's say we're dealing with a, one of the more tough situations that not everybody is dealing with, but plenty of people are, and let's say we're dealing with divorce and we know that divorce can be very tough on kids. And certainly in my extended family, we, we saw how tough it was on my family's kids who had to deal with like packing up their stuff and moving to different houses. And then they would forget things and being away from their friends. And, and it was, it was often extremely frustrating for them. It didn't mean like they didn't want to be with the other parent, but sometimes that is a circumstance, but it didn't mean that they didn't want to be with the other parent. It's just, they were complaining about having to keep moving their stuff and not leaving things behind. So they didn't want to keep doing it. Like they wanted to come up with something else. They did not want to do it. And so when it was time to like pack up your stuff once again and go to the other person's house for a couple of days, they would fight back. Mm -hmm. So what do we do or not do? What do we say or not say in that situation? Yeah, yeah. And, and nobody who's going through a divorce needs to be reminded that it can be, as you say, immensely stressful for everyone in the family. Mm -hmm. And it's really common for kids to act out or regress. Um, and parents who are experiencing their own pain and loss may not be in the best shape to provide that patient loving support of mm. the ideal parent, right? So your main goal is to resist the impulse to be dismissive of your child's feelings of loss, right? We desperately want to explain to our children why this overturning of their whole known world is quote unquote, not so bad, right? Our kids just as desperately need to have their feelings heard and it will actually be more comforting to a child if you can bring yourself to accept the hard feelings. So um, Joanna, let's give some examples. You be the, how about you be the parent and I'll be the child and we'll start with a 
typical interaction. Okay, sure. Julie, Daddy and I are going to live in separate houses from now on. We're going to take turns taking care of you. Uh, uh, I don't want to go to a different house. I know, honey, but this really will be better. Come on, you don't like it when Mommy and Daddy fight, right? Everyone's going to be so much happier this way, you'll see. No. Honey, it'll be fine. I'll let you decorate your new room however you want. You can make it all pink. I don't want a new room. I want my old room. Ah. <laughs> okay, so let's try that again, Joanna. This time, I want you to acknowledge my feelings of loss and that my whole world has been turned upside down. I'll start again. I don't want to go to a different house. Oh, you really don't like the idea of moving. You'll miss this house. Yeah. It can make a person feel really sad to move. Yeah, why do we have to? Oh, you wish we could all stay together in this house and never move. You don't like not having your parents live together. You wish it could go back to the way it was. Yeah. Now, you might notice that my parent <laughs> didn't actually answer my question there. When I said, um, why do we have to move? Right? Why do we have to move? <laughs> um, because she already explained why we have to move. My question is really an expression of the feeling underneath, which is, I don't like this. And it's comforting to a kid to know that the parent, that my parent understands how badly I feel instead of having her tell me that I'm wrong to feel that way. It just makes it a little easier to accept a difficult situation. Mm -hmm. Okay, um, let's talk about another stressor that we often hear people talk about in divorce, which is that there are often different sets of rules in different yes. households, and kids can have a lot of trouble with that and give us a lot of trouble about it. So let's say your child complains. But daddy lets me eat candy before dinner. Yeah, what do we want to say? Well, daddy doesn't seem to care if your teeth rot out of your head. And I guess he's not planning to help out with the dental bills either. You know what? I don't want to hear what daddy does or does not let you do. When you're in my house, you live by my rules. End of story. But in fact, it will be more helpful to start by acknowledging feelings. Ah, it's hard to live in two homes with two different sets of rules. It doesn't seem fair to you. And another way to acknowledge feelings is to we call it giving in fantasy what you can't give in reality. So I might say, it would be really nice if candy was good for you. And your mom always said, don't forget to eat your candy so your teeth stay strong. <laughs> <laughs> so the point is not that you have to change your own rules so you're consistent with your ex. That's probably one of the reasons he's your ex, right? Mm. Uh, and your kids can learn to live by different sets of rules in different settings. But acknowledging what it's like for them will make it easier for them to handle it. That was so helpful. I was like, like that's awesome. I love doing that and hearing what you should say and what you shouldn't say in that scenario. It's also often tempting to bash your spouse or your ex-spouse yeah, right. <laughs> and, and that can have lifelong problems. So we don't want to do that. You know, we don't want to go in that direction, even as tempting as it might be. I, I appreciate hearing both the, the positive and the, and the not so positive way of dealing with it. And of course, if we mess up, we always have tomorrow and we have another chance to do it again. So appreciate yes, that. Indeed. 
what about when we're in a situation where you often talk like you were t- I remember reading your book about saying you're sorry now that I'm we're talking about saying you're sorry and saying, well, you know, I messed up, but like that a whole idea of saying you're sorry. I remembered in your book and I circled this that you were like, you shouldn't, you don't have to have your kid apologize all the time. And like, there's sometimes a problem with us saying like, say you're sorry. So what should you do instead when they hurt somebody or they hurt somebody's feelings? Maybe it's even yours. Um, and like in the moment you would have like, that was rude. Say you're sorry. Or to their sibling, as we've discussed, or their, your ex-spouse or to their friend who they just, you know, took the toy and bopped them on the head because they Ooh. wouldn't share. So <laughs> we've heard they've hurt somebody physically or emotionally. And we think immediate, say you're sorry. You're saying, nah, stop. That might not be the solution. What, what do you say about that? Okay. It does seem like teaching kids to say, I'm sorry, is part of our job as parents. Um, the problem is the command, you say you're sorry, does not usually get the response you want. So no. some kids will be sarcastic, right? Sorry. Um, <laughs> Which doesn't some, sound so apologetic, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, some kids will just say sorry, you know, without any real regret, you know, because they've learned that that's some kind of get out of jail free card. Um, uh, some kids refuse to say the magic words and they actually laugh or run away instead, making us wonder if we're raising a little sociopath. Um, so I want to just pause a moment and reassure people that laughing and running away is usually a sign of embarrassment or fear rather than heartlessness. Um, it's, it's very common. I hear it a lot from parents. And on the other side of the coin, the kid, um, the injured child, whether emotionally or physically, who is receiving the insincere apology does not usually feel better. You can get into one of those hopeless arguments. You didn't mean it. Say it like you mean it. Yes, I did. No, you didn't. So if making kids say, I'm sorry, doesn't make them feel sorry and doesn't make the injured party feel better, you got to wonder if there's a more effective way to teach children what to do when they unintentionally or even intentionally cause harm. So we'd like to suggest that the phrase, I'm sorry, be saved for minor accidents. Like when you bump into someone's cart at the grocery store, it's a nice, polite shorthand to let a person know you didn't mean any harm. <clears throat> but when you've actually hurt someone or damaged something, those words alone can be unsatisfying. We expect people to make an effort to make amends, or at the very least, to assure us that they intend to do better in the future. Otherwise, an apology will be experienced as insincere or simply as a plea that the injured party stop being mad. <laughs> so maybe we're focusing too much on the words alone and not enough on the actions that should follow them. So when we're focusing on these elements of an apology, um, making amends in the present or making a plan to do better in the future, this will help our children learn what to do when they hurt or upset somebody. Like the same child who infuriates us by laughing or running away when confronted with an angry, say you're sorry, will often do a complete about face when they're given a chance to redeem themselves in some concrete manner. And how can we start? Well, we can start by briefly describing the feelings of the injured party. And then 
Find an age appropriate way for the child to make amends. Okay. So I'm going to give some examples because we're all about the examples. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, So say your kid is really rambunctious and pushes another kid over. Um, You know, we can say to, we can say to our kid, Oh, Idris is crying. That rough play hurt his knee. We need a bandaid. Can you get one for him from the medicine cabinet? You know, engage him in helping to fix it. Mm -hmm. Or you might say, Ooh, Camila is upset that her balloon got popped. She's crying. Can you find something else for her to play with? Mm -hmm. Or Bart's lip got bruised in that pileup. You can bring him an ice pop to suck on to make it feel better. And once your kids get the hang of this, you can ask them to think about what to do. You can say, oh, Jack looks pretty upset. What would make him feel better? And you might notice that in all those examples, I try to avoid the accusatory word you, because if I say you deliberately pop Camilla's balloon, that was so mean, I'll probably get a defensive reaction. You know, no, I didn't. Or she tried to pop mine first. So it really helps a kid to apologize if you don't start out by demonizing them. You can assume good intentions even when you're really dubious. And then I'll just throw in one of these, a story from a parent in one of my workshops who was having a problem with this, with her kid. She told me that her friends had invited the whole family over to swim in their pool and her son, Mikey, jumped in too close to the other family's little boy, Kyle, and Kyle swallowed water. And Mm. this poor kid was gagging and crying. And the parents are staring at her, you know, waiting for her to make her child apologize, you know, which is what she wanted to do. But she knew if she told him, you have to say you're sorry, it's going to ruin the rest of the play date. Because whenever she tried to get him to say, I'm sorry, he would get upset and run away. You know, he had never once said it graciously. So she said, instead, I tried acknowledging both of those feelings, both of their feelings. So I said, oh, no, Kyle got hurt. You didn't want that to happen. That was not in the plan. Mm. And she said, Mikey looks so relieved, so relieved that somebody acknowledged that he wasn't this beast. Mm. And he repeated the words. That was not in the plan. No. And then all by himself, he said, sorry, Kyle, really sweetly. And Kyle said, I'm okay. And they went back to playing. That's so great. I I feel like one of the things you are mentioning is is that basically you're describing the situation, right? You're, you're You're just saying what happened rather than whose fault it is. As soon as we go into whose fault it is, then we get the defensive uh, you know, the defensive reaction and they have to prove that they're, they're, they're a kind person. They're, they're a nice person. They're, they didn't mean to do that. Um, or they have to prove you right. Uh, sometimes they go in that direction. So I, I do, I do really appreciate you talking about how we can describe the situation. So then they can go into problem solving and it almost removes it from you know, from them and it puts it puts it in the air in a in a bubble and says here's what's happening and then they can go at it and say oh here's a solution so mm, I, yeah. I really appreciate that I, I feel like I could talk to both of you all day but before we end things up can you give me your top tip your top tip that you would want people to come away with after hearing this podcast or reading your book about how to talk when kids won't listen. 
Okay. Well, I'll tell you what was helpful for me when I would find myself in a situation where I suddenly felt like I don't even know what to say, which, you know, still would happen. Um, and I had this little mantra that I would say to myself, which is when in doubt, acknowledge feelings, mm. you know? So when you find yourself in a situation where everybody's mad or angry or frustrated or whatever it is, if, if you don't know what to do and you can't figure out what to say, I often find that can be really helpful just to say, to say out loud, boy, you are so frustrated. You are so angry. You are so worried about the presentation that's coming up, whatever it is, that can be enormously helpful as a start. Mm -hmm. And what about, what about you? Okay. My top tip for my top tip, I think I'm going to use a quote from my mother's mentor, Dr. Gannat, um, you know, which is that methods matter. It's not just the result in the moment. And he says, if we raise children with insults, punishments, and threats, then we can be sure we have also taught them to insult, punish, and threaten, and to comply when threatened. If on the other hand, we use methods that are respectful and kind, then we've taught something much more important than a series of isolated skills. We've taught them to treat others and themselves with respect and kindness. And then in my own words, Joanna, I will add to that, you always get another chance. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you can't do this all the time, right. but you don't have to worry that your child will never misbehave again and you'll never get upset again. So you always <laughs> get another chance. <laughs> you are right. I mean, the do-overs are where it's at and, <laughs> and thank goodness for them. So can you give us the resource of the week? Where can we go to get more information about you, your book and the awesome work you're doing? Well, uh, we have a website that we invite everybody to visit. It's how-to-talk.com. So the words how to talk with dashes in between, how-to-talk.com. It's a bit of a mouthful. Um, we also have a Facebook page, Faber and King. You'll find us there. And we are building up our presence on Instagram. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> because I've gotten a lot of feedback from parents saying you really need to be on Instagram and somebody actually volunteered to teach me a little bit about Instagram. So we're there now and our handle is how to talk dot for parents. It's fabulous. And I'll be going back and forth with you all week talking about this podcast and getting it out to the world and making sure that I, I take some of these great quotes that you have, put them on memes so that we can share them on Instagram so easily and put them all over because what you said today, I think really resonates. I really appreciate the way that you handle talking about responsibility and talking about mistakes, uh, tough things like divorce um, and apologies, all of these things are uh, looking through your lens really makes sense. And it's sometimes a newer approach to what we've been doing or what we used to do or what we were taught to do by our own families in the past but I think really makes sense for the future. So thank you both for being on the show today. Well, it was our pleasure.
Thank you so much for having us. Thrilled to have you. I've got my takeaways and sweet friends. I know you have yours. So let's discuss them. Come up on Facebook. You can go to the Dr. Robin Silverman page or let's chat about it. DrRobinSilverman.com or Twitter.com. I'm on at Dr. Robin. I'm also on Instagram. Again, we'll be going back and forth with our fabulous guest today. Um, and you can look me up at Dr. Robin Silverman on Instagram. We'll be sharing our memes. And if you love this podcast, like I did, I hope you'll go up to iTunes and rate and review it. I can't tell you how much those five-star reviews mean to me. And it also gets the information out to more people. All of this great information that we heard today from Joanna and Julie, they should be used in everybody's homes. And the more that we get this information out to our friends and our family members, the more they can use it. That's all the time we have for today. My fellow parents, leaders, and educators, thank you so much for tuning in to How to Talk to Kids About Anything. For more information on books, articles, speaking engagements, or curriculum, please go to drrobinsilverman.com. There's so many great podcasts up there and the show notes to this podcast will be up there as well. I look forward to weathering the storms and enjoying the sunny side of life together. And please remember, as we mentioned today, even on the days when you fall short, you've got this, you're here, you're getting the information you need. I know it's not easy, but never forget, there's always tomorrow. There's always another chance to do it differently. Parenting is the ultimate do-over. I see you and I'm right there with you. And as there are moments when we doubt our know-how, our choices, and our sweet sanity, please know you are 10 times the parent you think you are. Until next time, this is Dr. Robin Silverman with How to Talk to Kids About Anything. Please tune in again and keep connecting through conversation. See you next week. You've been listening to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman. For more information,